It wasn't enough for the Los Angeles Dodgers to win last year's World Series trophy. They wanted to dominate baseball for years to come. So the team signed Trevor Bauer, one of the best pitchers in the game. They overlooked his past of trolling female critics, of using sexist and transphobic jokes. He had a great fastball after all. But those days of professional sports teams looking the other way when it comes to talented, controversial players might soon be over. And it's inadvertently thanks to Bauer. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. The Food and Drug Administration gives full approval to the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. The Taliban warns the United States and its allies to withdraw completely from Afghanistan by August 31st or else cross a, quote, red line. And Washington Post columnist Gene Weingarten says he hates Indian food because he doesn't like the taste of curry. Gene, you might have two Pulitzer Prizes to my none, but they obviously don't hand them out for taste. Go gorge on some dosas, drink a mango lassi, and then get back to me. Trevor Bauer has not played a game since late June, when a woman received a temporary restraining order against him. She alleged that on two occasions, a consensual sexual encounter turned into sexual and physical assault. Bauer has not been charged with any crimes and denies the allegations. Last week, a judge denied the woman's request to make the restraining order permanent, saying Bauer never crossed the boundaries the two agreed upon during their sexual encounters. But the sport has now largely shunned him, and his future remains unclear. Our guest today, LA Times Deputy Sports Editor Ileana Limon Romero. She's also the chair of the Association for Women in Sports Media. Welcome to The Times, Ileana. Thank you. Baseball has always cast itself as a national pastime, a wholesome family affair, hot dogs and cracker jacks and take me out of the ballgame. But in reality, there's always been systemic sexism in the sport and it manifests itself in different ways. There's been a long running situation of ways that women have been just used in different situations to sort of be the sort of cheerleaders and for players to have very welcome relationships and just sort of a strong locker room culture, a clubhouse culture that called for using women, for lack of a better explanation. That has dated back for decades and has just always been sort of part of the sport. There's the traveling element of it where teams go from city to city and there's different relationships with different women. And it was just sort of accepted that this was the reputation and the way that people would be treated. To the point where there is that nickname, Annie's. In the Kevin Costner, Susan Sarandon film, Bull Durham, Sarandon was portrayed as this very strong, independent woman, which was awesome. But I was reading like articles throughout the decades in Sports Illustrated, like really objectifying women. And I mean, for crying out loud, giving all women who supposedly want to be with baseball players that nickname Annie. It does stem from that movie, which I find interesting because it was an empowered character and one who seemed to really own her role in it. But also the duality there of that particular character, Susan Sarandon, seemed like someone who was in complete control at all times. But as different parts of the movie carried on, you saw that there were reasons that she tend to latch on to someone with the team every season. There were reasons that she had these relationships with these minor league baseball players who came through the town where she was working and and where she had that interaction. And of course, the nickname stuck, but that nickname was for something, a phenomenon that had long existed before then. And so you have to break out of that in order to sort of change the way there is daily interaction there. There's always an assumption for female journalists. There's an assumption for female staff. There's an assumption for others. What are your intentions? And as a result of this, like, are you just hoping to sleep with players is never far from that conversation. And it's a result of baseball's history. 
Speaking of that baseline, so there's this objectifying attitude towards women as a baseline, and then all of a sudden you do have women reporters trying to cover the game. I mean, women reporters were only allowed into locker rooms in the 1970s, and as chair of the Association for Women in Sports Media, you've seen how decades later your members still get that type of harassment. Yes, I do not know a single woman working in sports media who has not experienced some form of harassment. And those within baseball absolutely have experienced it as well. It's of varying levels. Now, to be fair, there is a ton of support. There are a ton of baseball players who absolutely are open-minded and strong supporters of equity and who are great examples for amplifying the roles of women within baseball and within the workplace in general. But there also are some really heinous cases of persistent harassment even after women have pushed back. And you mentioned the locker room being open to the space for women being able to go into the clubhouse. That didn't happen without a lawsuit. And even with rulings in favor, there still was pushback to do your job to prove that you were tough enough. And then on top of all this, you have the sport itself, which remains overwhelmingly male. Every single ball player in the majors and minors is male. Every single manager has been male in its history. There's finally a couple of women coaches. Yeah, but for crying out loud, the first general manager only got appointed this past November. In the meanwhile, though, you had a coach for the Angels this year get fired for sending lewd text messages. And male executives have also lost their jobs after accusations of sexual harassment. We are seeing these patterns. What they profess in terms of equity in the clubhouse, what they profess for equal rights within baseball, like being in line with the Me Too movement, going along in this space, that's not what people are experiencing. It was an open secret that Jared Porter with the Mets, previously in other roles within Major League Baseball, should not be left alone with women. And then we had closer to home, with the Angels, pitching coach Mickey Calloway, his history there of, again, being a known persistent text message harassment figure. It took a while, but Major League Baseball conducted an investigation. And so he eventually was fired from his job with the Angels. Calloway, by the way, said that any relationships he had were consensual. So you see those. And perhaps the most heartbreaking for many of us was an essay recently in the New York Times by a former Major League Baseball beat reporter who had a really supportive market, was in a very supportive city, was at the Fourth Worth Star-Telegram when she went to a hotel. Now, this was a good chunk ago. This was more than 10 years ago when she did this interview, but she went to a hotel to interview a player and she was raped. And that was just so upsetting to a lot of people because we feel like we're trying to make progress. We're trying to be put in a position where people can just do their work, where we feel like we have the surge of support behind the Me Too movement and really accelerating equity in the workplace and just having a right for people to do their jobs. We'll be back after this break. So all of that background to get to the case of Trevor Bauer. Give us a sense of who he is, his talents, his persona, his reputation in Major League Baseball before the allegations against him. Trevor Bauer is an exceptional pitcher, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, consistent, healthy. These are things that are elusive within the sport. It's hard to come by it. So this is who he was, a Southern California athlete who went through UCLA and then went on and continued to succeed and thrive. But he had issues. There was a reason that he wasn't the most competitive free agent signing available. There was a, a reason that he was attainable 
he had these issues where his personality is difficult to fit into a clubhouse setting because he's not the most likable person. He is firm and staunch in his beliefs and antagonizes others. And as a result, it makes him a, a bit of a difficult teammate and absolutely ha gave him fits with fans who disagreed with him and disagreed with his perspectives. So why did the Dodgers sign him in the first place? They, they won the World Series last year. They still had one of the best teams in the major leagues. It seemed like baseball fans are saying, like, uh, that's kind of a weird signing for the Dodgers to do. It definitely did not fit with the sort of family-oriented Clayton Kershaw's and others on the team. It didn't fit with what they brought to the table. It didn't fit to the all-business approach of the Dodgers. So somebody who's going to be antagonizing people on social media, somebody who's going to be outspoken and a bit controversial, that was already in itself an odd fit. So why do it? I think it was an acknowledgement about the age of the roster, uncertainty about the, the durability over the course of a long season, and just an all-out passion to win. I also don't think that you can discount the San Diego Padres and the acquisitions that they made that were really bold and very strong and, and really pushed the Dodgers to think, wow, not only are we going to have competition from some familiar faces, but also the Padres are coming strong. So what are we going to do? And, and some of the thinking has held up. Clayton Kershaw is injured. He's out through possibly September, October. And this is their star pitcher, the, the one that they would lean on the most, who is not available. The deal worked out at first. Bauer was leading the majors in strikeouts and innings pitched. And then the team put him on administrative leave on July 2nd over the allegations. But the Dodgers seemed pretty dismissive of the allegations at first. The Dodgers' leadership didn't quite get that. They came off of a World Series championship celebration at the White House and then had, you know, the president of the team talk with media making jokes about, oh, yeah, maybe we should just get them to talk about some other topic. And and it's sort of making light of the situation in a way that really landed poorly with fans and really made them think, hey, like, this is a serious issue. This is something that we should be talking about in a better tone and in a better fashion. They were slow to step in and say what their intentions were in, in their defense. The Major League Baseball domestic violence policy is very specific and very clear in that it has to be executed from the Major League Baseball level. It's not something that the Dodgers can necessarily step on immediately, but there's still tone and language and how you react. They have since definitely uh, changed the tone of the conversation. They have since absolutely listened to their players and listened to, to fans. And I think they've, they've really moved where they're headed on this. Ileana, what is Major League Baseball's domestic violence policy? So this is something that has been negotiated with Major League Baseball and the Players Association. The union has worked together to develop a policy that allows Major League Baseball to launch investigations into any allegations that it learns of and that any clubs report to the league. So if the Dodgers hear of something, it gets reported to Major League Baseball. If Major League Baseball has not heard of it already, they have a policy that allows them to launch their own investigation to assess whether it violates what they believe is conduct that is in good standing with their overall values. It's a little bit vague, a little bit nebulous there, but generally they have come down harder than the criminal justice system. And they have not waited for the criminal justice system to play out before making decisions. So it's not a zero tolerance policy. It's not necessarily where if you had a domestic violence incident, you perhaps explained your part of it or discussed with the league you explained what happened, apologized for what happened, sought counseling. There is a pathway back. It's not as though if you violate this policy, you can never play again. 
Sports fans are notorious for being apologists, though, for all sorts of terrible behaviors from their favorite players. If, you know, as long as you could score a touchdown or slam dunk or hit a home run, whatever you could do, all sort of bad things, and they'll still accept you. But in this case, with Bauer and Look, there's there are allegations around him that he has not been charged with any crime. Let's make that clear. But still, when the allegations emerged, I was expecting people would say like, oh, well, let's wait. Let's wait for a jury to decide. But the cold shoulder that he got happened immediately. Our colleagues at the Times have reported that the players want nothing to do with him. The team itself, finally, they signed another former Cy Young winner, Max Scherzer, to ostensibly replace him. And yeah, the fans, it's like there's no one cheering on or demanding that Bauer return. So what changed? He does have a core group of supporters who are diehards with him and who are upset that this has reached this point and where it appears his his future is very much in doubt with the Dodgers and where it appears the team definitely no players have publicly tweeted or said any comments in support of him since the suspension. They have not discussed him at all unless absolutely pressed. And if so, they just have been as brief and as just deferring it as much as possible because it's not something that they want to be anywhere involved in. There were pictures and there was detailed information in that report that really made it difficult for people to accept. And I think a defense of she asked for it doesn't really land very well across with fans. Collective bargain policy actually allows Bauer the right to contest that administrative leave, but so far he hasn't. Why do you think? I think they understood that just refusing to go along with it and urging the union to refuse to go along with it would be problematic for him. So they're letting it play out. They understand that there wasn't really a way with these types of allegations for them not to go through that process. They could have contested. They could have filed. If they felt it was inconsistent with the union policies, they could have filed a grievance. This is part of why the Dodgers couldn't just step up and say, you know what, you're never playing for us again. We'll pay you all your money, but it's gone. You technically can pay that much, but still face a potential grievance. And so this is why they're going through this elaborate process. It's a little bit confusing for fans who are like, just you don't want him anymore. We don't want him anymore. Why is he still there? And it's because this elaborate process exists. And to, to be fair to the Dodgers too, if they're able to go through this process in a routine way, there's a chance that the wages owed to him would be dramatically reduced. And this is the highest paid pitcher in baseball. And the contract, by the way, three years, $102 million, which included a $10 million signing bonus. Do you think Trevor Bauer uh, continues playing baseball after all this? I don't know. I think it was hard for him to land with the Dodgers. Uh, As much as we say that, hey, the Dodgers were competitive and they went after him because they thought that he would be a great presence that he would help the team significantly uh we don't we don't have clarity like the Mets were the other competing team trying to get him but there were a lot of other teams that just kind of stayed away I'm remembering going back to what was it late 90s early 2000s John Rocker the former uh, reliever for the Atlanta Braves telling Sports Illustrated that he felt disgusted when he was walking through Manhattan or uh, New York seeing all these different languages and whatnot and he still had a long career do you think with this Trevor Bauer case that something changes in baseball that people like that people with controversial past will not be tolerated as much or there's going to be more hesitancy in tolerating a sexist culture or maybe even changing this sexist culture i don't know if it's baseball that changed but i think it's baseball fans that have changed i think it's baseball fans and i think it's the culture within our country that we're still pushing toward and not accepting things that we once accepted and so i think that's forcing baseball to change 
It's not a fast process. It's not an easy process, but I think it's forcing them to acknowledge it. And it changes the calculus for a general manager who's eager to get a pitcher who can do amazing things. Anybody who's looking for a star to add to their team or, or to do something like this, it really changes how you weigh it. So I guess it goes back to Ileana. What do you tell your colleagues at the Association for Women in Sports Media who maybe feel uncomfortable continuing to cover this sport and also women baseball fans who say, especially with Trevor Bauer and other issues in the past, like maybe this is not a sport for us? Yeah, it is really sad how many times I've had to have those conversations within the past year with women who are coming out of college who definitely have seen these headlines and react with a little bit of uncertainty. But we're able to say that like, we have had some outstanding experiences with MLB.com, with many other outlets, specifically hosting women as journalists, have had great experiences within the clubhouse who still have a space there. And then for fans, I think it's, it says a lot about how the Dodgers players reacted. And, and I think that combination still feels like there is a space. And I also am of the belief that if you don't continue to push for changes in terms of the availability and space for women in sports media to be there, then it will never change. Thank you so much for this interview, Ileana. Thank you. That's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, we return to our collaboration with our cousin podcast, The Envelope. The subject this time, FX's great show, Pose. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Please, please, please don't make us the Puccia podcasts. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our intern is Ashley Brown, who also produced this episode. Yay, Ashley. And our theme music is by Andrew Eapen. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this madre. Gracias. Gracias.